Great to see you this morning. I've got to say, it is a little, little gray, cloudy, rainy, I don't know, outside, but it feels great to be in here, doesn't it? It is so great to see you all together, to be able to worship God, to learn from him, from his word, to be encouraged by our brothers and sisters. What an incredible opportunity we have. You know, we... Um, went through a period during COVID that where, you know, there were so many, where it was so difficult to be able to meet together and having, you know, really feeling much more isolated. And, and I've got to tell you, being back together, it really just, I mean, there's nothing like it. You know, I'm so, so grateful. And there's almost nothing like kind of being forced to be apart that makes you grateful for the time you get back together, doesn't it? And um, so anyway, it is, it is great to just be together this morning. As Ryan mentioned, this is the ninth week of our uh, series, Revive. Irby's going to be closing out the series next week, so that's going to be fantastic. Uh, it's a 10-week series, and we are on week nine. We're almost there. And uh, after that, we're going to have a great series that will be taking us from Thanksgiving all the way through to Christmas, and that's going to be a, a great time together as well. And then I'm sure we'll have something new for the new year as well. So uh, a lot of fun things going on here. We're really excited about the, sorry, what's the, something new in the new year. Oh, is that going to be our series title? I guess we're, we're, the, the spirit is moving in this place right now. This is fantastic. Um, amen. Something new. Um, we're uh, already starting to work on the, uh, the Christmas service that we're going to be having together on December 18th. I hope you would Put that on your calendars. Be ready for that. Lauren has a script ready for the kids to do a pageant. Where the, a lot of the, I think it seems to be a lot of the moms are kind of coordinating that. It's going to be fantastic. We'll need some help with, with making some props. We're going to have costumes, all kinds of fun things. You can look forward to seeing your kids super cute on stage, probably just butchering the script, but it'll be fantastic together. Um, that's going to be December 18th. So we can look forward to that. Okay, let's get into, uh, into the sermon this morning. You can turn to Nehemiah chapter 7. We'll just do the last little portion there of chapter 7 and then into chapter 8. The title of my sermon this morning is Revive Covenant Relationship. Revive Covenant Relationship. And we can just recap really quickly where we are in the story here. So the city of Jerusalem was conquered by Babylon. Many of God's people were sent into exile in Babylon. And then about 50 years later, the uh, Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persians. And the Persian kings start to allow the exiles from Judah to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the altar and then the temple. And then Nehemiah comes and leads a group to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And so we are picking up here the very end of chapter 7, right after the wall of Jerusalem has been rebuilt. People stop work. Uh, they finish the wall. They kind of go home for a little bit, and uh, they kind of resettle with their families. And, um, you know, the wall that they, have, that they have just rebuilt is going to provide protection. It's going to provide separation from the world around them. But what we're going to see today is that the work isn't done yet. They've rebuilt the physical structure. But the goal of rebuilding the wall wasn't just to have a nice physical structure or even to provide just physical security. The goal of rebuilding the wall, it's the same as the goal of the temple. It's the same as the goal of the altar. It's to create conditions 
where God's people could live in covenant relationship with God. The goal isn't just the physical things. It's not just to have a nice city. The goal is to be in relationship with God. And the same is true for us. We're going to talk about this today. How the goal of everything that we do, you know, we have all these external things that we do. The, the different, you know, services that we put together and the different practices that we implement in our lives. But the goal of all of that is not just to have nice relationships or great events or fun things to do. The goal that, that brings all of those things together is that it results in covenant relationship with God. You know, we want a revival in our community, just as they had one there. But the goal of revival is covenant relationship. So we're going to read three, three passages here out of the chapters we're going to cover. It's mostly, again, starting the very end of chapter 7, but into chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. And I'll make three quick points about the, the, the passages that we read, that we really see kind of the components that the, the Israelites uh, incorporate into reviving covenant relationship. And so we're going to learn from their example and, and talk about implementing those in our own lives too. Okay, we ready? Let's dive in. The end of chapter 7. Now you know where we're going. Let's get there. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right, and I'm not going to read all the names. And then on his left were another set of names. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped. Uh, worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, and they list the Levites there, instructed the people of the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right, the first component that we see here that the Israelites commit to and kind of incorporate into their, into their lives and in their worship as they're reestablishing the covenant, reviving covenant relationship, is they incorporate conviction from Scripture. Conviction from Scripture. You know, the people are, they just completed the wall and they get back together. It says at the water gate. And it's interesting because you might expect the nation of Israel to get back together at the temple right? They've rebuilt the temple by this point. So why wouldn't they gather there? 
it's interesting that presumably they gather at the water gate probably because the women wouldn't have been able to join them in the temple when they gathered at the temple courts. And, but, and, and they make a note of saying it's the men and the women get together. And, and Ezra teaches all of them together. The, 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 they had this conviction. They wanted everyone to be able to participate and understand because they wanted everyone in their community to have convictions from the scripture. And it's interesting also that the leader, it doesn't say that the leaders really plan this and inspire this event. It says the people tell Ezra, they say, hey, Ezra, go get that book of the law. Go get it and bring it out and read it to us. So Ezra gets up on this, this high platform and he reads it to them. It says from daybreak until noon. And as he's talking, he says the, the Levites are there kind of throughout the crowd and, and they're explaining what he's saying. And you know, scholars used to think that maybe that meant that they were translating it, that the law was in Hebrew, but the people by this time only understood Aramaic. So maybe he was they were translating it to Aramaic as he spoke. I think the more current scholarship actually believes that they probably did understand it. And he was actually, they were just kind of explaining it as he's talking, right? So here he is reading the law and they're saying, yeah, you know, you see how, you see what this means and how this fits together and trying to help, again, this emphasis on getting people to engage themselves with the law of God. The people of Israel, in reestablishing the covenant, knew that they needed their conviction to come from Scripture. If they were going to be in a relationship with the God of the universe, they had to start by understanding who he had revealed himself to be. The same is true for us. We all want stronger and deeper relationships with God. We want to restart our lives after the difficulties of the last few years. But doing it God's way means we start with God's word. You know, during the month of October, our ministry, during our midweek series, we offered a few different classes. And we read books uh, together and discussed them over our midweeks. And there were books for parents of young kids, which is Lauren and I were part of that class. There were books of parents of a book for parents of older kids, um, and then there was a book for kind of personal spiritual growth. And I heard that it seemed like everyone had a great time. I thought it was fantastic, really helpful. But one of the things, honestly, that was really challenging was that I realized how many of my habits are informed by my own experiences growing up, my own thoughts of just what seems to be right, the expectations of people around me, the culture in which I am, in which, in which we live my own fears about the future, and not by the word of God. It's so easy, and I, I mean, this was in the context of parenting, but I think, honestly, if we're, if we're honest, this can be true in every area of our lives. It's so easy to let our, what becomes normal to us, the habits that we establish, the way we have of living, to be dictated by just the culture that we live in, and our ways of thinking, and not by the scriptures. People all around us, our world is full of people who talk about being followers of Jesus. The vast majority of churches all over the world say that they are Bible-based. And yet, our world is so different from the one that God would want. Why is that? Because everyone's just like us. That all of us have such a hard time holding to the scriptures for our convictions. So, if you want revival in your life, start with getting your conviction from Scripture. 
When you think about your work, what scriptures are you living out at your work? When you think about your finances, what scriptures are guiding the decisions you're making with your finances? When you think about your marriage and your parenting, what scriptures are you living out in your marriage and your parenting? When you think about your love for the poor, for the world around you, what scriptures are you living out in those areas? It's not enough to just have some vague intentions of doing a good job in some area. What the Bible talks about is, and this is what the way that Jesus lived too, is that he knew what God said about these things. And he held that in his heart and lived it out in his life. So, the challenge that I have for us this week is to really embrace this conviction of getting our conviction from the scriptures. And I would give you the, the kind of the practical point is, is actually comes from a challenge that the, uh, the book that, that we read for the young families uh, gave to us about mealtimes. And they, the author said, okay, uh, you know, he said, well, one of the ways that, that we can make our mealtimes really special and kind of more sacred and spiritual times, he says, light a candle. He says, when you get to, when you have your family dinners and you have your, you know, you get your kids there, it's so easy to get the frantic and crazy and somebody screaming and crying and I don't like this and all this. I mean, if you don't have little kids, you probably remember or you know someone who has little kids and that's just how it goes. Yeah, that's our house too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go to the Irby's, you'll, you'll experience it. Um, but, and, and so he says, if, when you light a candle, there, there's a way of, that it helps children to really feel like it's special when there's a candle lit. And it's actually, it's not just kids. It's us too, right? When you have a candle, when you just, just have a, a candle there, it feels more special and more sacred. And one of the things, I kind of extended that challenge to my times with God in the morning. And so one of the things that I started doing is that when I work from home, I go to our dining room in, uh, you know, in the back of our house. And, and when it's still dark, even with like all the lights off and it's dark outside, and lit, I would light three candles and I would do my quiet time by candlelight in the morning. And there's actually some, there's something that's different about lighting a candle for your time with God. And it doesn't have to be a physical candle, you know, I mean, you know, figure out what it is. But there's something about making the time that you have in the scriptures sacred. Not letting the kind of the hectic and crazy and frenetic schedules that we have encroach into that time, but really setting it apart and making it special. And so that would be my challenge for you this week. Light a candle in your time with God. Make it special and get your convictions from scripture. Amen? Okay, that's, that's the first point. Let's keep reading. We'll turn over to Nehemiah chapter nine. You can turn the page or push the little over button on your phone. Start in verse one. It says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. Those of the Israelites' descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were a number of names here. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God and the Levites they repeat the names, said, stand up 
and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. And then they list this incredible prayer that the people give. And we won't read all of it because it's the whole rest of the chapter, but I'll just kind of give you some experts, the excerpts. Let's start together. They say, blessed be your glorious name. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the lands of the Canaanites. Down in verse 9, you saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials and the people of his land. Verse 13, you came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them reg regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. Verse 16, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. Verse 22, you gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Verse 28, but as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Verse 36. But see, we are slaves today. Slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. And you can read through, I would encourage you to read through that chapter again uh, in your, on your own this week. But it's, a, it's an amazing prayer, just summarizing the, the story of God's people in light of God's goodness. And the, the, uh, the point that I would make here is that really the second component to reviving covenant relationship is confessing your story confessing your story. After we get conviction from scripture, the second people that the second thing that the people do here is that they confess their story. And you know, I I'm not just saying confess their sin. They do that too. But it's actually even more than that, right? It's telling their their entire story, helping themselves to see the story of their lives in the context of God's purpose for the world. And they really I mean they you, you see this really throughout the, the scriptures, that this happens again and again and again, that the people pray these prayers and say these words to help their hearts to remember who God is and who they are. They do this first because it's true, right? That, that God is the one who has been faithful to them, who has rescued them, who has protected them, who has been gracious and merciful. And yet time and again, they, just like us, have continued to fall short. But God's his mercy and his grace, it never fails. He's always with them, just as he's always with us. So telling this, this story and, and helping ourselves to understand this, our, the story of our lives in that way, it's not some 
false humility that we put on that, oh, well, of course, God is so good. And, you know, yes, you know, I'm, I am, uh, oh, it's just me. You know, I'm just a human. I'm so humble here. It's not false humility. This is the reality. The reality is that God is good and we only fall short. And yet he still loves us. But secondly, I think they do this, especially at, at this time when they're reviving covenant relationship. Because the story that you tell about your past is the story that you believe about your future. The story that you tell about your past, about what God has done and who you are and, and how things came to be, is the story that you are going to believe about the future. If ultimately you're here because of all of your good decisions, then who do you think you're going to rely on when things get tough? But if you remember that it's, it's God, right, that God has been faithful again and again and again, then of course, when things get difficult, he's the one that we'll flee to. Why should I abandon the, why should I abandon the world when God is the one who's always holding out on me? Why should I set aside my wisdom when the best things in my life were achieved through my good choices? But we can trust God because we know that he's the one who never lets us down. So what is the story that you tell in your heart about God's role in your life? When you tell the story of your life, who is the hero? Is it you or is it God? Whose power and wisdom and goodness are on display in your story? Reviving covenant relationship, it means confessing our story, telling the story of our lives in light of who God is. So my challenge to you in this area is to tell your story. Tell your story to someone this week. And maybe that's, you can write down your story in a, in a quiet time this, this week. That could be a, a fun thing to do. You could talk about it with your kids. You could share about it with a friend or maybe someone you're studying the Bible with or sharing the gospel with. Even maybe someone that, that maybe a coworker or a friend. But tell your story. Tell what God has done in your life. Practice saying it over and over until it becomes who you are and what you know to be true. All right, let's keep reading. Nehemiah chapter 10. We'll close up here. Verse 28. So the, uh, the people sign this covenant. They say, okay, in light of who God is and what he's done, we will commit ourselves to him. And it lists the, the people who, the leaders who sign. And then in verse 28, we're going to pick up and talks about the rest of the people. He says, the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Sorry, the Lord our Lord. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or in any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table, 
for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for their offerings on the Sabbath, at the new moon fest feasts and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. And it continues. The third component that I would uh, encourage you to incorporate here as we talk about reviving covenant relationship is committing to a specific step. Commit to a specific step. We talked about conviction from scripture, confessing our story, and then committing to a specific step in your life. You know, the people have, they've had this, this, this great time of, of, of uh, reflection and celebration and also conviction out of, the, out of the scriptures. They've had this time of confession now together. But then they actually commit to something specific that they're going to do. What are things that they're going to do that will cultivate hearts that will be able to continue to live in covenant relationship with God? They commit to avoiding intermarrying with the people around them. Because they know that if they give their children in marriage to just the, the societies around them that are not worshiping God, that as a community, their hearts are going to be turned away from worship, turned away towards other gods. They commit to not doing business on the Sabbath so they can set aside time for reflection and rest and joy. So they can remember they're created in God's image, not to accomplish things, but to be in relationship with him. They also commit to keeping the temple, to paying a tax to support that work, to giving offerings and tithes, to support their communal worship together. And I think this is, you know, this is a great example for us. You know, we need to search the scriptures to get our conviction. We need to talk about getting our story, you know, really getting our story straight, understanding uh, the story of our lives the way that God wants us to. But then at some point, we need to decide on actions that we can take. And, you know, the role of, of, of actions, of practicals, of specific choices in our lives, the role of that in spiritual growth is a little bit, I think we can kind of feel conflicted about it at times. On the one hand, I think some of us love stuff like that. Some of us love just give me a list of things to do. Like, give me some boxes I can check. Here we go. And then we just make it a point. I'm going to check all those boxes and I'm going to feel great about myself for having checked those boxes. And amen that, you know, through, through doing those actions, it can help us to actually be in a, in, a, you know, in a good environment that can help our hearts to grow. But on the other hand, it can quickly become self-righteousness, can't it? Right, where we say, well, you know, we, we rely not on, not on God, but on ourselves to achieve our own spiritual growth. Others of us, I think we can feel like actions and doing, you know, checklists or, or things that I commit to, that can feel kind of constraining. We want our relationship with God to be authentic, to be organic. We want to grow from the inside out. But the danger there is that we can be so turned off by actions that we don't do the work to actually create conditions in our heart that produce organic growth, right? The organic farmer still has to till the soil, still has to clear the rocks out. So there are still actions that we can do that can set ourselves up to grow. So there's some balance. And it's one of these areas where I would say more isn't always better, right? We always have to kind of keep evaluating and tweaking and not, we don't commit to actions for their own sake, 
but we commit to them as, as a tool to help get our hearts in the right place to be able to grow. Does that, does that kind of make sense we're talking about? Like, so, you know, I, 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 whenever we talk about committing to certain things, I think, I, you know, we, we just have to know the kind of the, the ways in which your heart is inclined to go, know the dangers there. And then if you feel like you're heading towards a danger zone, then make a correction, stay on the right path, you know? But as we think about specific actions, I think we can, I, I, I mean, I love the, the things that they commit to here, and I think it can be a good guide. So let's look at these. They commit to intermarriage. Sorry, they commit to avoiding intermarriage. Amen. But here's the question. Are there boundaries in the relationships in your life that you need to set up? Whether it's romantic relationships, whether it's questions of sexual sin. You know, COVID is a time where, you know, I'm sure things were, there was a lot of upheaval, a lot of things, you know, moving around, maybe practices that you wouldn't have liked that have reemerged. If pornography has come back into your life, if there's sexual sin that, that you're still wrestling with or trying to deal with, what specific actions are you going to take to get rid of those things in your life? What boundaries do you need to set up to be able to honor God with your relationships? Second, they talk about Sabbath, committing to prioritizing rest and time with God. How are your boundaries about the way that you use your time? You know, there are busy seasons in life, but we also need to reject the ungodly idea that we can always do more by running ourselves ragged. That is paganism that believes that it, it all stops with me and it's through my effort and it, you know, more commitments and more things that I can do that I can achieve my way into the life that I want. Have the humility to say no to things so that you can live as God's in, God intends you to live at peace with time to rest, to reflect, to be with him. This was one of the hallmarks of the people of Israel is that they kept the Sabbath. This quality of peace should be a hallmark of our community as well. Third, they talk about supporting the temple. Things that they're going to do. They're going to pay a tax. They agree to, hey, we're going to pay a tax to the temple. We're going to, you know, do the sacrifices that we need to do. And we're going to keep up the communal life of worship. We also have a communal worship life together. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a great question to evaluate. Are there gifts that you can be contributing to that communal life that you haven't yet contributed? Is there, is this a time to reevaluate your contribution? How is that going? You feel, are you honoring God in that way? You know, one of the encouraging things for me over the last few weeks here in our times together has been the way that like this stuff appeared this morning. I don't know if you guys noticed that. This stuff just showed up. You know, there's, there's different things going on. There's, and there's been things in the works here of trying to, like, how do, we make things, how do we make things beautiful? A lot of that happened, honestly, because Kelly Muscat just has a gift. I'm just telling you. So, like, I was just like, hey, Kelly, can you make it pretty? And she was like, I'm on it. <laughs> and Kelly's just like, I know, sorry, Kelly, I'm embarrassing you. Some people have that gift, right? You're just like, hey, can you make this look nice? And she's like, yeah, 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 I can do that. You know, I can take care of that. That's not really my gift. 
It's probably not your gift, but there's some gift that you do have. You do have something. God has given each of us something. And that when we contribute, it does make this community what God desires for it to be. Maybe it's teaching the kids. Some people are amazing at that. Incredible. I remember when, <laughs> I'll shout them out, but Roland was back there like a few weeks ago and we could not keep the volume down. It was just, it was, it was incredible. I remember Steve even said like, man, they are having a, a great, great time. time in the back. But, and there's nothing like as a parent, knowing that your kids are having a great time engaging with the scriptures, you're just like, amen. They can shout all they want back there. That is fantastic. But some of you have that gift. That's fantastic. Maybe it's helping, as I mentioned earlier, we're doing this Christmas pageant. Some of you are great with like woodworking and building stuff and we need a stable and stuff. Hey, if you have a circular saw at your house and you know how to use it, <laughs> if you know how to use it, <laughs> some of us are great at that kind of thing. But, and honestly, it's just, it's such a joy to be able to use those gifts together. So use your gifts to support the church. You know, this, this passage that we looked at today, these few chapters, I really believe this is in my heart, and I, no offense to everyone else who's, to Steve and Ryan who are preaching the other messages, but this is really the highlight in, for my heart of the, of the entire series. The people of Israel, they've, they've accomplished the things that they're trying to build and do, but then they set aside this time to focus on their covenant relationship with God. The whole point of, of all of the work that they're doing, the whole point is to come into relationship with God. And I think we also get a chance to do that in each of our lives. And I would ask you to, as you're thinking about really reviving covenant relationship, to take hold of the three things that we saw in them today. Conviction from scripture, confessing our story in the light of God's goodness, and then committing to specific steps that we can implement in our lives. You know, at the end of the day, this is just following the example of Jesus. Right? Jesus was the embodiment of how to live in covenant relationship with God. At every opportunity, Jesus elevated people's understanding of Scripture. Jesus was the perfect example of confessing the story of God in the world. And Jesus also committed to specific actions that led all the way to the cross. So as we imitate God's people in the time of Nehemiah, that what we're really doing is we're imitating Jesus here. We're following his example of trusting God and building a relationship with him. But also we can trust that just as the father did with Jesus, that he will use our lives to honor him in amazing ways. Amen.